0: Matthew chapter 28 is uh, where we'll find our text this morning. Forgot to mention during the welcome, if you're here this morning and you are a first time guest, um, there's a, at the end of the pew, in one of the pew racks, there's a card there. If you would uh, fill that card out. And at the end of the service, if you had just a minute to bring it to the welcome center as you go out into the hall, uh, out to the parking lot, I'll be there. I'll have a gift that I'd like to give you on behalf of our church. If you would stand in honor of the reading of God's word, we'll begin in verse number 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Uh, An attender of church. It should be a um, very familiar scripture to you. Says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Open our hearts and minds to hear your word this morning and help us, dear God, to be receptive of everything that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in August, I had the opportunity to go to, um, to Shaco for some leadership training. Several people from our church went with us. And we were there with the teaching of some very good uh, people from Southern Baptist Life, a lot of people who are uh, some of the main writers at Lifeway and different people there leading uh, classes. And one of the classes that I didn't get to attend but that I got some information on was a class called 3151. And through the Great Commission this morning, I want to introduce that concept to you because I want... um, What I feel very strongly in my heart is that at the beginning of 2019, it is a ministry that Piedmont First Baptist really needs to embrace in reaching our community and growing our church. Now, the title of my sermon is Go and Growing, Growing, and Going. We have a go go and grow ministry that meets on Monday evenings It goes out into our community uh, to make visits, to share the gospel, to check on people and their ministry needs. So I, we have begun some of the first steps, but I want to go a little bit further in introducing these ministries to you this morning, because I I really feel like in order for us to reach what we need to be spiritually in our own individual lives and to share that with other people, some things that we need to tweak and some things that we need to do better in sharing the gospel and in going out and telling people about Jesus and inviting people to church. So. There's uh, some concepts this morning that I want to share with you. And I want to begin here in uh, in, in Matthew with the Great Commission. And I want to share with you how we can tie these things to this ministry. And I wanted to introduce this today because I want to come back to it and revisit it in January. But if I were to wait until next month in November or December to talk about this, it just gets lost in everything we're thinking about in Thanksgiving and Christmas, and people aren't really, so this morning I'm introducing this to you because I want you to begin today to begin to pray about how you can be a part of this ministry, and also there's some people, there's, there's some opportunities here for you to begin to write some things down and to begin to pray about those things for the future uh, as, as we go ahead, and one of the first things that we want to do as we see here in the Great Commission is we want to pray for the lost, the, in, in Acts chapter twenty-six, eighteen, we see one of the, uh, a, a verse that, that shows us why we should pray for the lost. It's Paul is saying this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It's important for us to pray for the lost. Now, no, no show of hands this morning. But how many of you know someone who is not a Christian? Uh, Can you think, just how long did it take for you to think of someone you know who's not a Christian? Probably within just a minute, uh, just within a second of when I said that, you could think of someone you know who's not a Christian. Now think about this with it. Are you actively praying for that person to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Maybe someone in your household, maybe someone in your neighborhood, maybe somebody you work with, maybe someone you go to school with, are you actively praying for that person to come to know Jesus Christ? And have you been praying for a long, long time and maybe you've just kind of uh, given up on, on that? I used this example um, um, just a couple of Sunday nights ago. When I, first, uh, when I became youth minister, we had a lot of kids who would request prayer for people to be saved. No one requested prayer for their parent, more than Kaylee Smith, requested prayer for Gene Smith. It was Sunday mornings when we met, Sunday nights when we met, Wednesday evenings when we met. Without fail, Kaylee Smith said the words, pray for my dad to become a Christian. Dennis was there with us. Pam Jones was there with us a lot. Some of the others here in the, we were in the youth group during that time can remember that. But consistently, we never met that that was not her prayer was for Gene Smith to become a Christian. Now, I've used this example before. Not only at some point did the Holy Spirit hear those prayers and continue to work on Gene until Gene came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but now not only that, but now Gene as somebody who is actively trying to lead other people to Jesus because that's what it means to be a disciple is we follow Jesus and then we tell others how to follow Jesus. It's because someone, Kaylee, and I know that Lisa was doing the same thing, But they never gave up hope to come to know Jesus. Now, look at the background here as we talk about Matthew chapter 28 and we look at the Great Commission being given, we see that there is some tension that has arisen here. There's tension between two groups of people. There's tension between this group of people who follow Jesus, the Jewish people who have begun to follow Jesus, and there's, there has been tension between them and the Roman authorities. They, the, the people in the Roman authorities simply want one thing. They want for the people in, in, in this area where Jesus has been, they want the people there to simply submit to their authority and live a peaceful life and don't cause them any trouble. The people on the other side, the Jews who have decided to follow Jesus, they simply want one thing, and that is the freedom from the Roman authority that is, that is over them. Now, the tension between these two groups is very real, but they both have one thing in common at this point. Both groups believe, at, for, for a three-day period, both groups believe that Jesus is completely gone. The Roman authorities believe that they have finally done away with this rabble-rouser, this person who has stirred all these people up and got their hopes and emo- emotions all stirred up, They believe he's gone. And the Jewish people who had begun to follow Jesus, they are upset and worried because they think Jesus is gone. And now all of a sudden, people get a message from Jesus that says, go to Galilee and meet me here on this mountain. And he says, we're not going to meet behind closed doors. We're going to meet up here in the open where everyone can see us. Because what is the the gospel should never be what? gospel should never be hidden. The gospel should never be kept quiet, but the gospel should be uh, should be proclaimed out in the open. So I want you to look here in this verse and look at the three groups of people who are present. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's three, three distinct groups here that I want to point out. First of all, there's the followers. There's 11 disciples who went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. They're still listening to Jesus, and they're still doing what he asked them to do, but they're not not sure why. They're not quite sure why they are still following him. They're not sure what is the plan. They're going here because they think that Jesus is going to give them a plan for the immediate removal of, of those who are in authority over them, hey, if Jesus can, if he can be raised from the dead, then surely he has the power to overthrow this government that is holding us down. Why do we follow, they want to know what the plan is. They come wanting to know what the plan is. Why do we follow Jesus? Why are you and I in a relation, why are we following Jesus this morning? Do you know In your own individual life, do you completely know what Jesus' plan is for your life? It doesn't matter if you're 15, if you're 35, if you're 55 or 95. Jesus has a plan for your life, and he wants to share that. Do not wander aimlessly in your faith, but pray to know God's plan for your individual life. Then there's the worshipers. As soon as they see Jesus, they worshiped him. They knew that Jesus had victory over death. Jesus has victory over sin. Jesus has victory over Satan. They knew that he was the son of God. And yet they're still kind of not sure what they were supposed to do. But yet they had faith enough to worship. But still, they're kind of asking, what is this all about? Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster that they're on? Now, they are here at this point. They're in the physical presence of Jesus. So they have the opportunity to worship him, and they take that opportunity to worship him because they're really not sure in their hearts what might happen in a few minutes or a few days because they've been on the greatest emotional roller coaster of any group of people who've ever been. Just a few, not not very long ago, they were there at the triumphal entry there at Jerusalem as people were taking palm branches and waving them and throwing their coats down and saying, Hosanna to the highest, here he is. Here is the king, Here he's the one who's going to save us. And they're at this great high and then the next thing they know, some of them are at Last Supper and Jesus is talking to them about how he's about to leave them and how he's about to go when he washes their feet. And then the next thing they know, it gets even worse, as they see Jesus arrested and then they go and they see him crucified. So things go on a downward spiral and then all of a sudden there's this great emotional uh, moment where some of them know and understand that he's been resurrected, and now they're back up on this climb, but yet they still don't know. What bad thing might happen next? We're up here right now, but what bad thing might happen next that that takes us from, from where we are now? But they embrace him and they worship him. Now here's one of the things, this statement sticks out to me as much as any statement that's ever been made in scriptures. Three words here that say this, but some doubted. But some doubted. Have you, has that ever caught your attention right there? Those three words where it says, but some doubted? Think about this. They have witnessed all these events have happened, they've witnessed the arrest. They've witnessed the execution. They've witnessed, they they had front row seats to the ministry of Jesus. They've witnessed him heal the blind, heal the sick, heal the deaf. They've witnessed him raise people from the dead. They've witnessed all these things. They have have been a part of his innermost ministry. And now they see this, this Jesus who was just a few days ago He was being placed into a tomb taken from a cross at a crucifixion placed in a tomb. They knew that he was physically dead and now they stand in his presence and yet what those three words say? But some doubted. And now we sit here this morning and we cross our arms and think well those people are just ridiculous. How could they doubt Jesus? But yet How many of us this week have doubted Jesus? How many of us in the past month have doubted Jesus? How many of us have let our fears and our worries and our anxieties creep into our lives and push Jesus out the way that he should be king and lord and ruler of our lives? How many times in the past year have we been in situations and circumstances where we thought we we were so anxious and so worried that we forget about the scriptures where Paul told us in Philippians don't be anxious about anything, but pray about what? Pray about everything. Give your anything to God's everything and let God work it out. And we, but we look at this and we see that these people doubted, and, and we don't understand that. But what in the world could they be doubting? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, and I think it fits where we are in this world very clearly today. When he said these words to the church at Corinth, there's a verse 4 in here somewhere. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded the people who are unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God do we still see that very prevalent in the world we live in today it's like people it's it's it sometimes it's just obvious to me how people ought to live and what people ought to be doing and and people i see people in situations and circumstances where i know that if they just give their lives to jesus they could find hope and they could find peace and they could find uh, what they're looking for but the world has blinded them to the belief that jesus is the Savior. In today's world in, in church in, in church life, we call it the morality of self self-fulf- of self-fulfillment. George Barner reports this that 91% of United States adults and 76% of practicing Christians say the best way to find yourself is by looking where? Within yourself. The best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. I, I call it the, the gospel of Oprah. That, that, you know, the, the gospel of Oprah, which says that, hey, whatever we need, what, whatever we need to have a successful life, whatever we need to have a victorious life, whatever we need to feel self-fulfilled, we have enough worth inside of us to look inside of us and to pull that out, and we can live a victorious life. To which I say in the Greek, baloney. Because the scriptures tell me in Romans 3.10 that there is none who is righteous, no not one. There is nothing. Isaiah said that my righteousness is as filthy rags before God. There's nothing in me that's good. I was born sinful. I was born in a sinful state, in a sinful condition. And there's nothing inside of me that was good. I could look inside me all day long and try to pull something good out of me. And try to live a good life from that. And it's not going to happen. But here's what's happening. When it says at 70, 70, that there are a lot of churches that people are attending this moment. Where they're being told that there's a lot of good within them. There's a lot of greatness within them. They just need to find it and pull it out and live a victorious life. While, while skipping the fact of saying that all of us fall short of the glory of God. And that Jesus is the only hope for our sinful condition. Luke 19.10 said this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what's that got to do with what you're talking about, praying for the lost? Brandon, if you would, in 3151, we do this first. We pray, we commit to praying for three lost people. Now, I asked you earlier, how many of you know someone who's not a Christian? I guarantee you that right now, in in, in almost everyone's mind here, you can think of three people you know who are lost. You can think of three people that you know who don't know Christ as their Savior. And what I want you to begin, and maybe you want to go ahead and write those names down and begin praying for them now before we begin this ministry next year, is to go ahead now and to get those people in your heart and begin to pray for those three lost people. So that's the first part of this, is is to pray for the lost, and the second says this is that we should know the facts. Look at verse number 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this is one of the most critical statements that Jesus ever made. I, I believe that it is uh, almost as, as critical a statement as when Jesus said in John fourteen six that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man could come unto the Father except through him. When Jesus says here in verse number 18, all authority, every inch and every ounce of authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Now, here's what I want you to know and understand. When you go and you tell other people about Jesus, you are going, according to Jesus here, you are going in the power and the authority of who? Jesus Christ. Now, let's think about this as, as, as we think about law enforcement for just a minute. If, a law, if a, someone in law enforcement has, they work in Calhoun County, and they have a warrant for someone in, a, in another state. Now, I may be completely off base with this and wrong, but that person who works for Calhoun can, County doesn't have the authority to go to Gwinnett County in Georgia and make that arrest on their own. I wish Sheldon was here to tell me whether I'm wrong or not. All right? That's right. Uh, Allison knows, so thank you, Allison. All right? My Uncle Joey's somewhere in the back saying, boy, you ought to know that, you idiot. Uh, But I wouldn't have the authority to go from Calhoun County and to tell this person over in Gwinnett County in Georgia, you did this wrong and I'm taking you back. I would have to get someone's authority there to do that. Now, If I know a lost person, I live in Piedmont, but if I know a lost person who lives in Anniston, and I go down to Anniston, do I have to go to the First Baptist Church of Anniston or to Parker Memorial and ask the preacher there for his authority to let me go somewhere here in Anniston and share the gospel? No. Who should I be talking to before I go to Anniston and talk to that person? Talk to the king. Talk to the king. I need to talk to Jesus, and I need to be talking to Jesus on my way to Anniston and talk to that person and tell them about Jesus because Jesus told me that I have the authority and power that he has to go and to proclaim him, him to someone else. I'm not going in my power. I'm not going in the power of First Baptist Church of Piedmont. I'm going in the power of the sovereign ruler of earth and heaven. I'm going in the person's name who spoke the words, let there be light, and there was light. I'm going in the authority of the person who said, uh, who helped shape man and form him. I'm going in the person's name who as, as a baby lying in a cradle in a manger in Bethlehem could have spoke and spoke, every, still had the authority to speak everything out of existence. I'm going in his authority. And, and no weapon formed against us can prosper as we go in his authority. Now I want you to think about some of these statements and, And maybe you want to write these down. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Here's some of the authority that Jesus has. In Luke 5 and 20, it tells us that he has the authority to forgive sins. Jesus was healing a man who was paralyzed, and he physically healed him, but he went one step further and said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. In 1 Timothy 2.5, we see that Jesus has the authority to mediate or to take our prayers to the Father. Paul said to Timothy, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. When we pray, it is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes our prayers to God the Father on our behalf. When I pray, Jesus is praying with me, praying for me, and taking my prayers to God the Father. Jesus has the authority to open the hearts and minds of his people. Luke 24 and 45 says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I talk to people constantly who tell me, I would read the Bible more, but I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand the scriptures. Uh, the Bible tells me right here that Jesus has the authority to open the hearts and minds. Have you ever prayed before you read the scriptures or while you're reading the scriptures that God would give you the understanding of he has the authority to Jesus has the authority to give eternal life to people whom he chooses in John 10 verses 27 and 28 he says this but you do not believe me because you are not part of my flock my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand Jesus has the authority to give eternal life And Jesus has the authority on the last day to raise us up physically. In John 6 and 40, he says, I will raise the believer up, or I will raise him up on the last day. Those are some of the things that Jesus has the authority to do. So we know that he has all authority in heaven and earth. We should know the facts. Now, if Dr. Clemens... If Dr. Clemens, he, he's not here this morning so you you remind him, I used him as an example and he wasn't here. All right. If Dr. Clemens called me in the morning and he said Michael I need you to come to the high school I have a student here and, and they want to know how to become a Christian. I could drive to the high school in full confidence of knowing that I would know how to tell that student how to become a Christian. Because I know the subject. I know Jesus personally. Now if Coach Smith were to call me and say, "Michael, I need you to come over here to the field house after school, and I need you to sit down with my offense, and I need you to teach them how to run, how to run this this uh, offense that we run, and 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 I need you to come and teach it," well, Coach Smith wouldn't have a job after a couple of weeks because I couldn't do it. Listen, I watch it every Friday night, and it amazes me. I, I still don't know all the intricacies and all the things. And he doesn't. And we meet every Tuesday to talk about the games, and there's still a lot of things he doesn't tell me because he doesn't want me to mess it up on the radio. Now, there's some things that I'm an authority on, and some things that I'm not an authority on. But how did I become an authority? And and, and still, I don't want you to think that I know everything because I don't. I'm not an authority on the, on the subject of telling people about Jesus through any seminary class or through any uh, conference that I've been to. I'm an authority on the subject because of the amount of time that I have invested in sitting with this on my lap and sitting with this on my desk and reading it and pouring over it and praying for God to show me how to understand it. And as Christians, that's the only way we're going to learn that subject. Now, George Barna also says this in his his research, that 6 in 10 U.S. adults who are regular Bible readers believe that the Bible has transformed their life. You think about that. 6 out of 10 people who read the Bible on a regular basis will say that the Bible has transformed their lives. I can tell you that this book has transformed my life. Some mornings when I sit down and read this book, it encourages me. Some mornings when I read this book, it some mornings when I read this book, it offends me because it points out to me what I'm doing wrong and how and, and a life that I need to repent over. But I constantly pick it up because it transforms me. Now, here's something that surprised me: we are quick in the church to kick the millennials, the group that are a little bit younger than me. Bree claims she's a millennial. I don't, I don't know, um, but we're quick to kick the millennials, uh, I, I look and I see, I know Allison and Whitney and, and Tyler, that, that age group in there, Jubal, be, the, the people who were in my youth group, they'd be those people who are the millennials, I think you're a little bit older than them, but I'm not going to, we're not going to bust out your uh, birth certificate or anything, but but here's what we do in the church. We well, these millennials—they want—they—they want that—they they want that—they everything to change. We're just not going to change for them. I mean, they're just going to have to take it away. But here's what I found out: Millennials read their Bibles more than my generation. You think about that. Millennials read the Bible more than my generation. My generation is that group right behind the baby boomers. I'm Generation X. That'd be me and Philip would be Generation X. Neil would be there in Generation X. Scott, you're a baby, but you're older than us. So you're, right. But but millennials read their Bibles more consistently than than my generation. Now, here's what millennials want. Now, we 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 think about how to reach that group. Millennials simply want this, and here's the best way to understand a millennial. They want number one, they want to know the truth, and number two, they want to know that that truth has changed your life. They want to see results from it. So if we, and we you can go, I, I can send you to a conference this week on how to attract that age group. And it, it's a waste of your time. Because here's all they want. They want to know that you really are who you say they are. And if you really are who you say they are, they'll be attracted to that and they'll be attracted to Jesus because of it. That's all they want to see is for us to be genuine and who we say we really are. So, we need to know what we're talking about. We need to know our subject matter. And, and the second thing is this, Brandon, if you would. In 3151, we will learn one gospel presentation. We will say that I've learned how to present the gospel and, or I will learn how to present the gospel. Some of you already know how to, how to share your testimony. Um, someone taught me early on when I was a Christian how to share my testimony in 90 seconds and, and give somebody to tell them. Your testimony is simply this. You don't have to learn some canned uh, presentation that sounds like a salesman. You simply say this. This was how my life was before I met Christ. This was what happened for me to know Christ. And this is how my life has been since. That's all you really need to know. It's your story. It's personal. You're not telling my story and how it affected me. You're You're telling your story and how Jesus changed your life. So I'm going to ask you when we begin this ministry to learn the gospel and to know how to share the gospel, know the facts. And then third, I'm I'm moving through this quickly, grow your group. Verse number 19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This commission was given to the disciples who were present there with Jesus on this mountain in Galilee, but it applies to you and I sitting here this morning as well if we know Jesus. Now, if you are a part of a group of people and you enjoy that group and that group has done something for you, you're what, what do you want to do? You want to tell other people about it. You want your group to grow. Now, we are called to make disciples of all nations and to teach them to live the truth of the gospel. One of those One of those ways is through baptism. We're to lead people to Christ and then encourage them immediately to follow up with their baptism. One of the things that we are point has pointed out to me as a Baptist pastor, as a Southern Baptist pastor, is how greatly our, our baptisms have declined through the last couple of generations and how we're not baptizing as many people. And I could spend a whole sermon talking about that. But what my baptism was so important to me because I was showing my commitment to the Lord and to His call on my life. And I was letting the world know that I am a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And baptism was the first time that I was obedient to Jesus. I immediately wanted to be baptized because it's what Jesus said that I should do. Now, here's what we should know as we begin to try to get people to come to church, and as we try to get people to come to know Jesus, 38% of Americans are active churchgoers. 40, 43% of Americans are unchurched. Now, we've done the study here in Piedmont, and we came up with a number closer in Piedmont to 70% of people in Piedmont on a Sunday morning are at home and not in church. 34% of people in America are de-churched. That means that they once went to church, but something happened, and they don't attend church anymore. So we know that there is a great number of people out there who we need to invite to church and need to invite to our small group, whether it be our Sunday school or whether it be our D-Life group or whatever we, however we have the opportunity, we need to invite those people. Now here's one of the things. That people say to me when I when we talk about getting people to come to church is that well you know everybody goes to the big church now everybody goes the new church the the, the new trendy church everybody goes there you know that's where everybody's going now and and I I don't want to you know I don't want to drive and I you know here's what only nine percent of people attend a church that is of of a thousand people or more. Do you know where most church attenders are people who attend church? 40% of churchgoers attend a church of 100 people or fewer. Now, we're so we're in the middle of that, somewhere there. People here you you know what people are they're not concerned about the size, they're not concerned about people are looking for relationships. People are looking for a place to belong. People are looking for a family. One of, one of our church members this week, Bree and I were having a conversation with them, and they were telling us about a struggle that they're having with their family and how they felt that their family had pushed them aside and, and, and really didn't want them. And they had offered help to their family, and their family had said, no, but they, we don't need your help. But then they had asked other family to come and help, and he, he was hurt. And some, someone here in Piedmont said, well, don't you feel hurt by that, not having a family? And he told them, my family is at First Baptist Church of Piedmont. That's wonderful to know that people feel that way about a church and about how their relationship. They're, they're there with a group of people who have a like faith and who have a like belief in them, and they formed a family because of that. Now, I am around, in my, in my vocation, I'm around other pastors a lot. And other pastors, we're not the only church who's dealing with these issues and these problems trying to get people. I told you a couple of weeks ago, it may have been on Sunday night at the I Will study. We now consider a regular church attender to come to church how much? One out of every four Sundays. We call that a regular church attender. When I was a kid, if you were a regular church attender, you were there how many times a week? You were there three times a week. Dennis, you you. You're there every time the doors are open. That's, that's what you call a regular church attender. Now, we don't, we don't say that so much. I actually had someone this past week who, um, who deals with situations where people um, need ministers. And he told me, he said, most people that I deal with now don't know a minister because most people have no church affiliation anymore. And there was a time where everyone went to church, whether they, whether they were living as a believer or not, most people went to church. When I was a kid in a classroom at Southside Elementary School, 30 people in that classroom, 28 of those people, you could find where they were connected to a church somehow. Nowadays, probably in our elementary school, Mr. Hansen could probably tell you that now in our classrooms, probably you'd be lucky to find two out of the 30 who are connected to church in some way. The the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe for us to begin to say that people, to inviting people to our groups. Now, go ahead, Brandon. Here's the the five of this. three, one, and here's the five. I will invite five people to my group. I'll invite five people to Sunday school, or I'll invite five people to church. I'll do that. Now, that's an easy way for you to be a part. That's not saying that you have to share the gospel with them. Or it, it's simply saying that I will commit to inviting five people to my Sunday school class or to my church or to my D-Life group or whatever. I will invite five people. I will get them here so that they will hear the gospel taught and hear the gospel preached. So, I want to grow I will grow my group. And then lastly is this. I can can realize that the results are in God's hands. Look at verse number 20. Jesus finishes by telling them this. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, let me throw some more statistics at you, and I'll be done with statistics. I can't even say it. In 1993, 89% of Christians who had shared their faith agreed that it is the responsibility of every Christian to share their faith. In 2018, only 64% of Christians who have shared their faith say that it is the responsibility of every Christian. That's a 25% decrease since 1993 to 2018. In Christians who say that it's the responsibility of a Christian to tell other people about Jesus. Somewhere along the way, someone began to people began to think, well, that's the minister's responsibility or the deacon's responsibility or my Sunday school teachers. And maybe along the way, people got frustrated because they had shared the gospel and and maybe they didn't see anyone come to Christ. Now here's here's what I want you to understand. I have shared the gospel numerous times where the result was rejection. It is not my responsibility. Here, let me, let me start again. My job is to share. God's job is to save. But if I'm not sharing, then I'm not given that opportunity. A prominent pastor in the Atlanta area, told this story, I, was, I, was, I can't remember if I was reading his blog or listening to uh, a podcast that he had, but he's a member of a golf, um, a golf course there outside of Atlanta, and he visits it about three times a week, and he shared this story, and he said, you know, in the beginning there was a temptation for him to compartmentalize this part of his life and to say, this is, my, this is what I do for recreation. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to be one of the people who go here. But God convicted him about the, the mission field that he had there. So he shared this about one week in in his going there to the golf course. He shared about three times that he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. He shared the gospel with a waiter. And that that the sharing of the gospel with that waiter resulted in that waiter asking for forgiveness of his sins and making Jesus Christ his Lord and Savior and attending church. The second opportunity that he took to share the gospel led to a caddy telling him, well, I'm not ready to make that decision right now, but I I will come to church with you. The third time that he shared the gospel, a caddy looked at him square in the eyes and said, I don't want to hear another word about this. Stop now. Now, as a result of him being obedient and sharing the gospel three times, he was rejected. He has the promise of someone coming to church with him, but he also led one to Christ. Now, what if he had stuck to his original idea of saying, this is where I'm going for recreation, and I'm not going to then, maybe no one would have ever shared the gospel with that waiter, and he wouldn't know Christ. Our job is to share. God's job is to save. It's a miracle that you and I can't perform, but it's a miracle that you and I get to be a part of. In Matthew 19, 25 and 26, the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me it's our job to go and to share the gospel and to lead the results up to God through the Holy Spirit to draw those people and point those people to Jesus. And then when those people do, it is our responsibility to teach them that when they become a Christian, they are to follow the ways of Jesus and that being a Christian means that Jesus is Lord. And by living that, then we teach them that their responsibility after that is to go and make more disciples. Being a Christian means that, and here's Jesus' promise. Here at the end, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus is always with us. Never leave you, is if, if that is a promise to the end of the age, then so is the commandment that he gave us here to go and share the gospel. So here's the last part of this. The last one is this a commitment to share the gospel I will share the gospel with at least one individual next year 3151 that's how that's how it is and here you know where the best place for us to do this is through our Sunday school it's through our Sunday school classes and through those groups that we meet in where we have fellowship with other or through our D life groups is to share this the gospel is to teach this and share this in those areas. So, remembering that the results, we're, we want to say that I'm going to share the gospel with someone, and I'm going to commit to that, because I may get to be a part of the miracle of that person coming to know Christ as their Savior. Maybe this morning you're here, and you've heard me mention, I've talked an awful lot about Jesus and how Jesus can change a life, and how Jesus can transform a life, and how Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins. I want to share with you for just a moment this, is that Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ left heaven and came to this earth, was born of a virgin in a town called Bethlehem, and he lived a completely sinless life as he walked this earth, and that There was a point to where he went to a cross at a place called Calvary and he was the substitute for you on that cross. He took your sins that you had committed and he paid the price in exchange for you. And because of that, he died there physically on that cross. He was buried in a tomb for three days. On the third day, he was raised to the power of God And over 500 people saw him physically after that resurrection. He has ascended to heaven now, but his forgiveness is as real today as it was the day that he resurrected from that grave over 2,000 years ago. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's factual historical evidence. And I want to tell you this morning that it has changed the lives of hundreds of people who are sitting around you. And this morning, you have the great opportunity to say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know Jesus, who you say is God. I want to know him, and I want to know the forgiveness of my sins and the freedom of the bondage that I have been under. And I want to know that I have eternal life with him. As Darren comes, I want to pray this morning as he leads us in a time of invitation, a time of worship. Father, this morning, God, I pray For anyone who's sitting here who doesn't know the forgiveness of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to pray, dear God, that you would speak to their heart, that your Holy Spirit would draw them and point them to Jesus. And I pray this morning that you would give them the boldness to, to say to someone sitting with them, I want to know Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And Father, would you give them the boldness maybe to come right here and to to let me show them through Scripture how they can know they have eternal life before they leave here today? Father, I pray and I ask your blessings on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you?